Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I'm so glad you've joined me. Today I'm going to talk all about splits, the good, the bad, the ugly, things to think about, things to tweak with some of the more common split methods that sometimes will give you a better outcome. But regardless of what you try this particular spring, I want to really encourage you to go for it because the skills that are involved in making splits and are, in my opinion, the skills that are going to up your beekeeping game and make it possible for you to do pretty much whatever you want in your bee yard. You will not be fenced in by your lack of skill in handling bees and identifying frames and dividing things up as you need to. And yes, even finding your queen, (laughs) which makes all of this so much easier. But if you can't, it's not absolutely required with some of these splits. If you're a regular listener, you are going to hear things I've probably said a dozen times before over the past year, but I'm trying to make each one of these episodes kind of freestanding. So if this happened to be the first episode you're sampling, then when I mention something, at least the outlines of what you need to know are there. So that does involve a lot of repeating myself. So regular listeners, that's my disclaimer. My other disclaimer is that I have seasonal allergies. So yes, I am sniffly today. Wow, is it an inconvenient time to have a runny nose, right? People look at you like they're terrified. (laughs) And I don't blame them. But it is seasonal allergies that I regularly have this time of year. And of all things, it's pine pollen, which, as you know, bees don't mess with. So eating honey regularly doesn't help me a bit on that one. I think one of the most important things about doing splits is having a good reason to do a split. Know why you're splitting. I think newer beekeepers, maybe their second or third spring coming out of winter where they have overwinter hives, they can get panicky and just say, oh, it's just time to split. Everybody says it's time to split, so I'm going to split. But I would like you to always, whatever you're doing with your bees, to stop and go, why am I doing this? And what are the factors that are going to affect what I'm doing? So for example, with a split, if you're simply splitting to prevent a swarm, you want to remember that in splitting, if you are having part of your hive make a queen cell, there's a lot of ingredients that go into a good queen. So when you're splitting, you're also making your next queen. So you want to keep all that in mind. The other option is a purchased queen, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if if your hives are going to make their own queen, one thing you really want to make sure is that A, that they're big enough to make a good queen, and B, that there's the ingredients out there for a good queen. You probably want them, the flow to have already started, whatever that is in your area. You also, the most important thing is, you want to make sure that looking ahead, the dates that your queen will be going out to get mated, are there going to be plenty of drones in your area? And how will you know all these things? Well, one thing is, if you keep an eye on your hive consistently, starting as soon as your season starts, then you know what's going on in there. You know when they start to build up. You know when you start to see them put drone cells in. And when you start to see drone cells in your hive, you know that they're getting ready for mating season and that can help you time a lot of things. Let me pause here and just clarify for the brand new people. Splitting is not something you're going to be worried about your first year. If you're starting with a package or a nuke, that's an, it's not something you should be worrying about because your little baby hive does not have the enough resources really to spread itself that thin. And even if you do, you're pushing it. Um, so just don't, I, I don't think that's a good thing to do that first year 
unless you're unless you bought a whole hive and that's a whole nother thing but this is definitely something that folks in coming out in their second year are going to be working on now very first year folks if you have bought a nuke and install that nuke some of the same things are going to apply as to the people that are preventing swarms their second year in that you're going to be keeping an eye on that little nuke as you it's in its bigger colony uh, boxes now that you've moved it in don't hesitate to move it in. This is something I have sold nukes to people and they have put off for whatever reason moving it into their full-size hives and they will swarm early and quickly and that's not good. Don't hesitate to put them in their full equipment. Start giving them some room. And for folks with an overwintered colony, it the same principle is giving them room. So if it's too early to split, in the sense that, you know, you don't really have drones flying or your weather's still really iffy, or maybe even the size of your colony is not a definite, uh, not definitely big enough to want to split it. The best way to get the timing right is to give them plenty of room so that you slow down the process so that by the time you're ready to split, they are of a size that's going to make it the best case scenario for both parts of that split. So the main way to slow them down until you're ready to make a split until the timing is right is the technique called opening the brood nest. And that is simply inserting, ideally, frames of drawn comb in between frames of brood. The caution with this is always not spreading out the bees too much if you're still having chilly nights. You want them, when they're all in the box, you want them to definitely be able to thickly cover all the frames that have brood on them. And the only way to know that is just to look at the size of your bees and to see how many frames they're covering and go from there. So opening the brood nest, you are um, inserting frames of drawn comb if you have it, empty drawn comb. If you don't, on a smaller level, you can insert foundation for them to draw out in between two frames of fully drawn foundation. If you do this in the brood nest and if there's either a flow on or if you're feeding for whatever reason, they're going to draw that out pretty quick because they don't like foundation in the brood nest. If you do this carefully and cautiously, it's a great way to get new comb drawn out. They're going to draw it out so much faster than if it is up in a honey super. But this whole idea of giving them space, once you're in your flow, you're going to attend to making sure there's a continual supply of fresh space in the brood nest. You're expanding it. You may need to gradually add another box. You may need to, um, and be sure before you're adding another box, to look up how to do that and talk to your mentor because you don't just want to add a box of foundation above um, the brood nest. They're not going to recognize that as space because bare foundation, they can't do anything with it. They first have to draw a comb on it. So there's all these techniques, um, pyramiding and all that type thing that you can then look up of how to expand your brood nest into a box. One technique that I share anytime you're opening the brood nest is to consider not using a queen excluder. I only use queen excluders very strategically, uh, usually later in the season when the, the flow is really rolling and I am preparing to harvest honey. If you are not, if your goal is not to harvest a bunch of honey this year, 
then honestly, I would say put your queen excluder away until um, later, until a time that, that you are consciously trying to maximize your honey harvest and to trying. One of the main things about a queen excluder is you're just making it simple. You're making it to where you know where the brood nest is for sure, that it's under that queen excluder. And that allows you to just yank those boxes off on top and know that there's not a queen or, or reasonably <laughs> have a reasonably good chance that the queen is not above that queen excluder. So it is a an item that's always included in those beginner kits, but to me is an item that I didn't use a queen excluder probably for the first five years that I kept bees because my focus was not on maximizing honey production and not on maximizing the quickness of harvesting honey. If you're a hobbyist with just a couple of hives, there's absolutely nothing to prevent you from just pulling out full honey frames and using those to harvest, replacing them with drawn comb or with foundation, but pulling out those frames one by one. And there's nothing that says you need to be able to just walk by and pull off a whole box of honey. So if you are a hobbyist with just a couple of hives, I say put your queen excluder aside and give her plenty of room. She's going to, they're going to build comb faster that way. There's just a lot of advantages to it. I'm just going to leave it at, at that. So let me just be clear, when I say remove the queen excluder from your setup, this is only doable if you are not using any treatments that are not allowed in honey supers. So that's an important caveat in not using a queen excluder. If you're going to use treatments that are prohibited in honey, then you will need to use a queen excluder because you want to keep your honey supers definitely separate from your brood frames and you would only be treating your brood frames. So look more more up about that if you are using any type of uh, treatment that's not allowed when honey supers are on. So whatever you're doing with the queen excluder, you are keeping an eye on what's going on in your hive. You are opening up the brood nest gradually to give them more space. The queen is able to keep laying. She's not crowded. The bees are able to keep storing nectar because you're also opening up or checkerboarding is what you call the, the nectar area with ideally empty drawn comb. You're going every other frame. You're paying special attention to the area just above the brood nest, whether there's a queen excluder on there or not, because that's where the bees tend to read. That's where they take their reading on how they feel like they're doing on how many stores they have. So when nectar's coming in fast and furious, they can easily create kind of a, a band of honey. It's every frame in that box has honey or nectar in it, and that's going to keep that queen forced down below that. It's kind of a natural queen excluder. Now, that can be very useful. In fact, special operations, you can even do that on purpose just to keep her in an area. But if your concern is not swarming, and your concern is still to build out that hive some more, then by gradually giving her more space in the form of drawn comb or uh, less aggressively in the form of foundation, then they're always going to feel the bees are taking their measurements and going, wow, you know, this, this hive is not packed out with brood and honey enough for us to swarm. So let's keep working on this one. And so it's kind of like you're playing a trick on them to keep them in the box longer, A, <laughs> till ideally till you can split them the way you want to rather than just letting them swarm, which definitely may not split them the way you want to. In any direction, you know, you may not be able to catch the swarm. Um, you may lose a bunch of after swarms from the portion of the hive remaining. 
that's just not ideal. If you're trying to build your apiary, you definitely want to keep your bees in the box, but you want to take advantage of all the good things that come from a swarm, and doing that is simply doing splits. You are mimicking the natural process of reproduction of a colony, and you're using beekeeper skill and art to keep all those bees in your yard, but still maintain the advantage of, of splitting. Now, let me pause here to say, this is this one is just an overview. I'm just going to talk about some of the, the larger concepts. You are very welcome on the show notes to ask me particular questions. And then in upcoming podcasts, I can do a deep dive onto some of those, just a deeper dive into some of the dynamics of splitting some of the more advanced techniques. And in particular, I'm going to do a deep deep dive coming up on my very favorite split technique, the cut down split. So to me, the really cool thing about splits is that there is a type of split that will probably accomplish whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. There are many types of split. I think sometimes people get hung up on the basic walk away, which is my absolute least favorite type of split ever of all time. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it's not that you can't do it. It's not that occasionally um, it works, but in my opinion, it has more cons than pros. And I'll talk about that in a second. But as you get more advanced, begin looking up and exploring online the different types of splits. I will put some links in the show notes. One of them is a, a British website. It's kind of neat too because I looked up and the, the author of that website may be deceased, but there are other um, beekeepers who have kept up with adding things. But it was kind of neat. Apparently he had some physical handicaps and couldn't do beekeeping anymore. So he set about to make this giant reference of beekeeping information, which I think is really beautiful of um, working with whatever you can do <laughs> to contribute. I think that's beautiful when people do that. And sometimes our contribution to the world may not be how we initially set out to do it, but if we're creative, we can find a way. So anyway, reviewing a website like that one, it could be really overwhelming for a beginner, but if you're more advanced, it's pretty fascinating to begin looking at the different types of splits, the, the fine-tuning of what it is you're trying to accomplish versus the kind of uh, blunt instrument <laughs> that is some of the more basic splits. But again, with everything in beekeeping, before you do the very specific things, it really helps to understand the broad overview. For example, there are some people, and if this is you, yes, I'm talking to you, who have been thinking to themselves, you know, but I have three or four hives. They're doing well. I don't really want to make more hives, so why would I split? First of all, if you have hives that are doing well, please learn to split. Please learn to split and to share your bounty of creating nukes and creating little baby hives to sell to your club, to members of your club at a at a good, decent, fair price. That is one of the most incredible contributions you can make if you are keeping and raising healthy bees. There are so many people that could be prevented from having to order a random generic package if there are more local folks in their clubs, making good, healthy nukes and sharing them among themselves. But let's say you maybe you're not that generous that way. <laughs> and I'm not going to uh, throw shade on anybody. It's We all have to do what we have to do. There's other reasons you may want to learn to make splits 
even if you don't plan to spread them around, and that is to maintain young queens. You can buy young queens, but that puts you at the mercy of a supplier that is, of course, going to be supplying queens to big operations. Those orders are always going to come first, and you may or may not get your queen. So I am all about self-sufficiency in our bee yard and sustainability in our bee yard and being able to make our own bees. But why would we want a young queen? As you know, a young brand new queen is not focused on getting out of the box. She is focused on building her colony. A second year queen, she has built her quality, co- colony. Excuse <laughs> me. She has gotten through the winter. She is her life cycle is now all about getting out of the box and swarming. And so it's much more challenging to have that second year queen and keep her in the box without splitting. This is where splitting comes into its own. It keeps you with young queens. I can't say enough good about keeping young queens in your colonies. The health seems to be so much better. There are so many problems and issues with pests that if you have a robust growing colony, you're just not going to have. You're not going to have those problems. But if you have a queen that's maybe on the downhill side of her productivity, then it gives room for all these problems to come in, in terms of potential disease, in terms of maybe not a big enough population to keep pests back and on and on. I honestly believe as you go through the years in your beekeeping, you will become more and more fond of knowing the ages of your queens and keeping young queens in your colonies. That's not to say you have to destroy the old queens. I mean, I have a whole section of little retirement nukes of queens I'm particularly fond of. And that is also kind of like a spare parts barn because in the event something goes wrong with the colony, you've got that older retired queen. She's not dead. She's not ill. She's just on the downhill side of her production. And many times she can be very useful in her golden years to fill in if you have an unexpected loss of, of a young queen, which can happen. You can smash her. <laughs> it's it's a horrible feeling. that If you ever hear that crunch and then 20 minutes later, that hive makes that terrible sound of queenlessness. It is the sickest feeling in the world. <laughs> what will make you much happier is if you know you've got nukes with either new baby queens that you've raised or old retired queens that you can spot yourself until you can get a new queen in that box. So anyway, even if you're not intending on making increase, if you're not intending on making bees available to other people, you could at least do yourself a favor and keep young queens in your hives. And to do that, you're going to need to know the techniques of splitting. Now, again, in that broad strokes understanding of what's going on, the other dynamic that's important to keep in your mind is population dynamics of a split. And that is what type of bee where will they go when you split them? Because as you know, the flying bees, they are fixated on the GPS location of that box. Even a, a move a few feet in either direction will throw them off. They will come back to that empty spot before they see their, their colony move just a couple feet over. You can use that tendency to your advantage, or you can use it to let it really mess you up. So being aware of it, the foragers are going to come back to that spot. You can use that information. On the other hand, the queen inside the box and the nurse bees who are not really flying yet, they are going to stick with the box wherever you move it, even if it's in the same apiary. So if you take a colony and you're all in your same apiary and you split it up in whatever way of whichever split you're going to use, the boxes that are in the old original spot, they are going to get all the forager bees back. The boxes that are moved away to a different spot, 
in the same apiary, they are going to lose all their foragers. Again, you can make this work if you're trying to thin out the population. Once you split up the flying bees and the house bees, you've just really messed up what they need to swarm. And in this case, that's what you're trying to do. (laughs) You're trying to mess up the swarm part, but not mess up your split part. So keep that in mind. Your forager bees are always going to go back to the spot. Your house bees move with the box. And that dynamic creates another issue that you want to always keep in mind. The box that has lost the foragers, they don't have any way to go out and get food and water. And so you need to provide them all the stores that they need. If you are going to whatever reason separate them from the foragers, then you have to attend to their pantry needs. So you want to make sure there's frames of pollen in there and and frames of honey or a feeder so that they can take care of themselves. Meanwhile, the boxes with the forager bees, yes, they are going to have foragers, but you do want to leave them some stores because it could be a rainy day and maybe they can't go out and forage and you don't want to put them under any kind of stress. A bee under stress is just bad news. And so at so much of what we do, in my opinion, in the beekeeper skill is to help our bees not be stressed. Let me clarify that. To help our bees not be stressed in any way they don't have to be. Just being a bee in this modern world, there's going to be a certain amount of stress. And we do need to be able to see if the bees we have can handle the basic stresses of their world. But if you pile too much on them, then you're just going to create a lot of trouble for yourself in terms of pest and disease. And I just say it's easiest just not to go down that road when there are other better options available to you. So let me talk about the walk away because this is going to be an unpopular opinion, I think. The walk away is my least favorite split. So how people do a walk away and why it's taught so frequently to beginners is that it's really easy. It's easy on the beekeeper, at least on the front end, because it can often create so many problems that you have to backtrack and solve a lot of problems down the road. But anyway, so a walk away, the principle is that you simply go out there, divide up boxes, and call it good. In theory, both boxes have what they need, whether the queen is in one or the other. And I say in theory, because if you haven't looked and haven't consciously divided up what's in those boxes, there's nothing to say that you haven't just moved a box with mostly honey nectar frames into one spot and then left another box that has all the open brood. If you put them in the spot without the forager bees, then they're going to be stressed because maybe they don't have enough food to feed all that open brood and on and on. It just... It's not a good plan if you can do better in the sense that it's it can be hard on the bees because there's nothing to say they're going to have what they need. It can also be hard on the beekeeper because it doesn't necessarily stop swarming. You divided up those boxes just randomly without really paying attention to what is in each one. So you may not have prevented your swarming at all if you happen to have the queen in the side that ends up with the flying bees and most of the stuff, they're still, they still may be of a size to swarm. And then you've now created a little queenless colony over here that doesn't have what they need to make another queen. So I think it's pretty easy to see why I'm not fond of it. In fact, I mean, the the one and only thing it has going for it is that it's easy. But I don't know, I'm of a mind that you can either work, do your work on the front end or you're going to end up doing your work on the back end. <laughs> That's a truism I li- live by or else r- rather it has uh, 
proven true in my life enough that I'd just rather do my thought and my work on the front end and have a better chance of not having to problem solve on the back end. Now, this next part, I have gone back into this audio to add this in so you know it's important. I hardly ever do this. But I don't think I fully said whatever kind of split you do, one of the most important things is to make sure you have enough population that each split looks like at least a small nucleus colony. This is going to be very dependent on where you are, how cold your weather is. Later in the summer, when it's really warm and you have warm nights, you can get away with an extremely small split. Or like if you ever watch the barnyard bees on YouTube, they're down, I think, in Georgia, and they can do these little, you know, two-frame splits just a lot that I can't do here. I can only do those at the height of summer. And so be very aware. When I talk about a small split, I never use a small split to make their own queen. I don't feel like the quality is good enough. You will see them on barnyard bees talking about letting a frame or two make their own queen from scratch. In my opinion, that does not produce quality queen. Okay, if you do a split and it has really scanty population, they're going to struggle. And they're also very vulnerable to a lot of, again, stress-induced disease. So it's important the next day after you do your split, whatever kind, to go out and look at the population. Sometimes it can be surprising how much of the population that you put in the box fly back to the original box. This is if you're doing it in the same apiary. If you're moving the split to another apiary, this is not as big of a deal because whatever population you put in the box stays in the box. The next day it'll be the same. But when you do it in your own apiary, you're going to lose all the flying bees. And sometimes that can be startling depending on which frames you moved and how many bees uh, were in there. So I just wanted to go back and put that. You want to end up that day after you do it, when you look in there, you want to look in there and see what looks like a small to medium new nestled in its little area, cozy in its box. That's the goal. Okay, now back to our originally scheduled programming. Now the next split that's kind of one step better, actually maybe it's many steps better than the walk away, is an even split. And that is where you go in and you consciously divide up in the what's in the hive into two hives. And you're going to give them about the same amount of stuff. Now, you can keep in mind that the old spot is going to have all the forager bees. So you may want to give more bees to the spot that's not going to be in the old spot. Another variation is to do your even split. You may or may not have found your queen. If you have found your queen, then you can decide consciously where which part to put her in. So if you find your queen, depending on what type of split you're doing, it's going to be a lot easier because you know where she's going. If you don't find your queen and you're doing an even split, one of the little techniques is to then put your two hives one on each side of where the original hive was. So there's no entrance exactly where the old entrance was. Maybe there's one entrance of now a couple feet or a foot or so to the left and there's one entrance a foot or so to the right. Maybe there you've even turned them so that they're facing a different direction than the original. So in theory, the forager bees coming back are going to have a 50-50 chance of going into one hive or the other. Now what happens in practice is that over time, you know, they can sniff out the queen and more of them are going to go back to the side that has the old queen. And you can then swap them back around if you want to even out the population. I haven't done one of these splits in a long time. 
in terms of an even split and letting them make their own queen. But I do a lot of even splitting when in one yard, I break up a colony into a bunch of nukes that I'm going to then move to another yard, a couple few miles away, and then install queen cells or caged queens that I've raised into those. And again, the whole technique of the even is just that you look at every frame to know what's on it. You know, is it pollen? Is it open brood? Is it capped brood? Is it honey? And then consciously put that where you need it, as opposed to just the blind whacking around (laughs) of a walkaway split. But as much as I'm dogging on it, if that's the only split that you feel confident to do, well, then try it and see what happens. I mean, yes, you're rolling the dice, but you're also rolling the dice if you do nothing and your hive swarms, then you're just going to be dealing with whatever happens to be left behind, which can really vary. You know, the book says that they leave enough behind to start a new colony. Well, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they throw a ton of after swarms and you go out there and they've swarmed so many times that there's barely a bee left in that box and it more looks like they've abandoned the whole thing. So as with everything in beekeeping, there is no guarantee. All you can do is try to go in with the most information you have and make decisions. So I think so far (laughs) in this all over the place podcast, which I'm just going to have to ask for some extra patience lately um, for a a scattered brain, given my job and and what's going on in the world. But everything's fine here. No no worries here yet. So we've we've covered some of the, the bigger dynamics of splitting. We've covered some of the reasons why you would want to split. And we've covered why the walk away is probably the least helpful split, but it's better than nothing if that's all you can do. I would heartily encourage you to talk to multiple experienced beekeepers about what kind of splits they like to do. This is a case where do get online. Now, don't believe everything you read, but look around at all the different types of splits that you can do. One of the main things that's going to determine the best split for you is whether you are going to be starting that new hive with a mated queen that you've bought somewhere or perhaps a queen cell that you've bought from someone who's doing that um, or a virgin queen if you've bought one from Corey Stevens or someone else who does virgin queens that's going to influence how many bees you need in your split box if in your split box and I'm just that's not an official term that's just the one without the queen for the this podcast anyway uh, the one without the queen if they are going to make their own queen then you want to make sure they have everything they need, that they are just absolute Cadillac filled out, have everything because that's how they make a good queen. You're also, just like in the episodes that I've talked about frame-based queen rearing, you're going to be very conscious of what type of wax is on the frame that has the eggs and open brood that they will start on that queen. By all means, look up the techniques of the -the on-the-spot OTS queen rearing. Now that's a whole program, a whole overall management technique, but the, the actual, the scrapes that they make on the comb can be helpful if the comb when you make that split and you see that the eggs in the open brood is maybe on an older comb it's darker that is going to be very difficult for the bees to make a good queen cell on in fact I, of, on the frame based queen rearing that can be the number one block 
of getting a good queen because she is an emergency queen. So they're going to have to work with what they have and they're going to have to take a cell that was they initially started out with the intention of making a worker and transition that to a queen. Now, you can still get good queens from emergency queens. The best case scenario queen is going to be a natural, in my opinion, is a naturally produced swarm queen. That is a queen that from the absolute time the egg was put in the cup by the queen, it was always destined to be a queen. She has been treated even before she, you know, when she's just an egg, she is treated and tended to be a queen. And to me, that is the best case scenario. Now, what that means is if you come across a capped queen cell, don't knock it down, for goodness sake. That is a treasure. There's also a high likelihood if you come into your colony and you've got a capped queen cell, there's a high likelihood they've actually already swarmed. There may still be plenty of bees in there, and that just means you had a good, strong colony and they've left plenty behind. But they, the your old queen may already be gone, which means that there's no eggs in that hive, which means if you knock down that queen cell, they don't have the raw materials to make you a new queen and it gets ugly. So if you see those queen cells that are capped, that's when you want to pull out the little queen castle that I've been telling you for a year you needed to get. (laughs) I'm just teasing. You don't have to have a queen castle. You can use another box. You can use all kinds of things, but you have the opportunity to take nature's best produced queen cell, provide a little nuke or a smaller split with plenty of stores and plenty of nurse bees to keep everybody warm and let that queen go out and mate and you will have one of the prettiest queens probably that you'll ever see. The next best queen probably is a grafted queen and this is from a queen rearer who has taken the time to do all the the steps and all the work to do cell builders and to make sure they're well fed and it's a lot of work to raise good queens. The quickest way to be totally happy to hand over whatever a good queen rear is asking in terms of money for their queens. The quickest way to be glad to do that is to give it a shot of raising your own queens because once you see everything that goes into it, you're going to go, oh my gosh. I mean, unless you just happen to love it like I do, which I hope you will. I hope everybody will. But unless you happen to love all that, then that's going to be the happiest $40 or whatever that you hand over (laughs) because they have saved you a ton of work with a mated queen if that's not fun to you. Now, I think that is the most fun thing of beekeeping. So again, I just totally encourage you to go out on a limb if you can, if you have that leeway in your life and in your beekeeping equipment and give it a shot of raising your own queens. But anyway, so a grafted queen is probably the second best queen that you can get in that she was again from the get-go, maybe not from the egg, but at least from the grafted larva point, she was always destined to be a queen. Then there's emergency queens. They were not destined to be a queen. They were destined to be a worker. But the emergency of the queen either being lost or removed, they are going to switch her over to make her royal. And if you do some tweaking, you can actually get a really good queen out of emergency queens. For the years that I raised queens in my yard with frame-based queen raising without grafting, I got good queens. And actually, I didn't, you know, get more picky about queens until then you start grafting and you see, wow, I can make a beautiful queen this way. Then you start getting picky. (laughs) That said, with a little bit of attentiveness, 
you can get some really good queens from split queens or, or emergency queens. The components, as we've talked about in many episodes that go in that, are having a healthy enough, strong enough supply of nurse bees to raise her up good, strong, and fat. For those nurse bees to have an abundance of supplies of nectar, whether it's from the world or from you feeding them, good supply of pollen, which usually I think the natural supply is, is better because anytime you do a thing that the bees are already trying to do, then your thing is going to go much more successful. And in swarm season, that is queen rearing season for them. So if you go along with that timing, things are going to, I mean, it's just like, you know, water flowing downhill. It's going to go. And if you do a little direction, you're going to probably get closer to where you're trying to go. Then if you're trying to do it, say, for example, during a dearth, or if you're trying to do it too early when there's not enough natural pollen or there's not enough drones out there, it's just going to be uphill both ways. So there's something to be said for coordinating your timing with the bees timing. And one of the reasons why commercial queen breeders do all that stuff, all those crazy manipulations to get these giant cell builder hives is so that they can raise queens when the outside conditions might not be naturally conducive to it. But they need queens at all kinds of different seasons, not just that brief window when the bees think it's the best time to do queens. So the takeaway is if you do it when the bees are already trying to do it, there's a lot of work you don't have to put into it because nature and the bees instincts are already going in the direction you're trying to go. So this is a getting a little long. I'm going to begin wrapping up here and I'm going to try my best to do a, a quick turnaround and get you another one to talk about my very favorite split, the cut down. But maybe for this week, if you guys who are, are maybe looking at about to do your first splits, do some reading about the different kinds of splits and keep in mind these dynamics that I've talked about and be thinking about, you know, what kind of split might be best for your yard. There are some basic lists of splits, and I will put a couple of links in the show notes so you can do your background reading on some of the ones you may want to try. In the meantime, keep your brood nests open. <laughs> keep your nectar area open. Get, let them be filling it up. This is if you have started your first flow, you've started your spring season. I'm going to talk a lot more about splits actually throughout the spring and the summer because again, there are just so many exciting, fun things to do. If you are going to be planning on doing splits a little later and want to do mated queens, by all means, you should try to track one down now. A lot of places are sold out for the early season. Keep in mind that one thing you can do is if you, if there's just a generic mated queen that you can come by, you can always use those to build out population while you're waiting on your queen that maybe has the fancy genetics or just good, solid, mean, tough genetics, depending on what you're aiming for, until your chosen queen becomes available later in the season. You can make do with kind of generic bee store queens. I mean, no offense to any bee store, but if they're, they're just generic queens, you can be using them to build out population throughout the season. Again, my apologies for being so jumpy all over the place. The events of the world definitely have caused more um, scatter in my brain. Being a nurse, the constant attention to preparation and what might be coming our way is a lot more stressful, I guess, than I would have guessed. I, I wouldn't have guessed the part before anything happens at my local hospital would be so stressful, but there you go. I do want to just 
put out to all of you to be gentle with yourselves. This thing that's going on in the world, you know, our almost nobody alive today has gone any gone through a real pandemic. This is our first one. <laughs> if we're lucky, it might be the last one of our lifetime, but unfortunately, probably not. So I just want everybody to be gentle with themselves and take good care of yourself and spend time with your bees because what else could be as invigorating and comforting and steadying as being with your bees, even if you're out there and things aren't going right. <laughs> you're still with your bees and you're giving it a good shot. So we'll call it a win. All right. I'm thinking of you all and sending you the very best wishes for fun with your bees. And I'll be back very soon.